Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. Today we are back with our regularly scheduled programming of politics. We are pleased to welcome Representative Lee Finke. Rep Finke just finished her first term representing St. Paul, Falcon Heights, and Roseville. Today, we are going to break down Representative Finke making history for being the, becoming the first transgender member of the state legislature. Then, we are going to break down Finke's leadership on the passage of gender-affirming care legislation this past session. Lastly, we are going to break down Representative Finke's take on her first session and what she hopes to accomplish in her second. We're going to end the show with our first football picks of the, for opening week and share more about the breakdowns pick'em league. And we have one housekeeping note this week. You will no longer have to agonize over how to survive the week without a new episode. Starting next week, our weekly episodes will be released on Tuesday mornings instead of Thursdays. We have a great lineup set for the coming week, so get ready. Thanks for joining us and today, and enjoy the show. Well, Becky, did you have a nice Labor Day weekend? We sure did. We headed to the great state of Wisconsin, your favorite, um, went and saw the in-laws. Congratulations. Yeah, the baby was a gem. Both ways in the car, perfect. Is is he good in the car? You know, he is. We we did our, it was actually Labor Day last year, so he was just about two months old. We did our first trek out to Wisconsin. It's a, about three and a half hours, but we stop halfway through. Super easy highways almost the entire way. Um, and he's gotten pretty good at it. Naps most of the way. We feed him some puffs, give him some milk, play some nursery rhymes a little longer than I would like to uh, hear in a three and a half hour ride, but keeps kid happy. I would be happier in the car if somebody fed me puffs and we did nursery rhymes the whole way. Right. Can't beat it. Uh, big news in, in my local area over the weekend. Yes. I live in Egan and State Representative Ruth Richardson announced that she is going to be resigning from the legislature. So there'll be a special election right in my backyard. And inquiring minds want to know. Elective service is not something that's my role right now. I feel you. And uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. There's going to be a number of candidates that are running, and I think it's going to provide an opportunity for us to focus on that race. I think we should reach out to the candidates and talk to them about potentially running. I hope that there's, I, based on some conversations I've had with some party people, I think there's there may be a couple of Republican candidates that are running. I know they're working hard. But there's already been, by the day we're recording this, there's already been a couple DFLers that have announced. It is a DFL-leaning seat. It'll be a tough pickup for the Republicans should they try, but depending on voter turnout and intensity. But it'd be interesting to watch, and it's going to be fun having that over the next couple months in my backyard and hope that we can spend some time on the podcast talking and getting to know the candidates and provide uh, some feedback and a uh, public service and raising awareness of the race. Absolutely. <clears throat> special special or special elections certainly have, uh, you know, they're kind of 50-50. It can go either way. They're not quite always uh, following the trends of what's going on. It's usually a cold winter day um, that folks go to the polls. So, it will be interesting to see who lines up behind this, and uh, certainly excited to chat with them. Well, we'll talk about that more down the week, down the road. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it. Today, we have Representative Lee Finke. Welcome, Representative. Um, you are officially the first transgendered uh, member of the state legislature. So we'd like to chat with you about um, what that means for you, for your community, and why you decided to run for office in the first place. Yes, uh, thank you so much to both of you for having me. Um, yeah, so I decided to run for office. Um, 
because my community, the trans community, has been facing this national coordinated attack for the last seven years, six years, and it was just inching closer and closer to Minnesota. And it seemed absolutely essential to have someone in our decision-making body who was trans to represent our community. Representative, when Becky and I started this podcast and we were talking about people that we wanted to have on, we wanted to, we were one of, you were one of the people that we wanted to have on. We were drafting our list because it's so important for us, particularly in this day and age with the kind of the political rhetoric that's going on both sides, that we create a space where people can have conversations and people are treated with respect and we can have those type of conversations. So I really want to say at the onset that I, I appreciate you trusting us enough to come on the show and have this discussion with us. And we really hope that it's a positive conversation and you'd consider coming back at the end, but we'll let you, we'll let you <laughs> ask that at the end. Talk a little bit about, if you could, how your first session went and how that experience was for you. Yeah, I just, if I can quickly respond to your first comments, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I, you know, we have interacted numerous times over the past few months and and I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel like that was true. So I'm grateful to both of you for for creating an environment where I would want to be here. Uh, I don't want to be on every podcast, but I'm happy to be here. So so I appreciate that work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah, my, I mean, and to the question, my second, you know, my first session, um, I thought I kind of had a, a grasp on what it was going to be like to be in office. I've been around politics a long time. I've been an activist and I've been in media and I've been a reporter. I've been at the Capitol um, a lot. And I just kind of had this sense that, you know, it's going to be a lot, but I'm going to be able to handle it. Uh, being a trans person in public is toughens you up, I think, in a certain ways. Um, and I was really excited to just get in there and do what I could do to represent my community, which which I did do. But I will say I vastly underestimated how difficult and how, uh, you know, just how much attention there would be, how quickly, you know, the, the amount of attention, I guess, isn't that surprising. But the rate at which my life changed did surprise me. It just happened so much quicker than I expected. How did it change? different than what you expected. What were, can you give our listeners some examples of what that arena, like stepping into that arena is like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and to be clear, vastly for the better as well as for the worse, right. And more for the better. Um, I, I have said before that I think part of the reason that my campaign um, after I won the primary and then, um, you know, my time in office got as much attention as it did is is because of the vacuum that existed, right? And we didn't know there was a vacuum until someone was there to fill it. And when someone was there to fill it, it became very clear how necessary that was. Um, so the community, the trans community, the gender expansive community, families, allies, people have just been incredibly supportive. Um, and I've heard every day probably since I launched my campaign from people who are excited, happy that I would be there, willing to support me, coming out, supporting in any way they can. Um, but like with all advocacy, visibility brings uh, negativity, right? I mean, one of the reasons that this campaign against trans people nationally has been as successful as it has is because trans visibility has steadily increased. And instead of reversing our visibility, we continue to increase 
our public you know, stance, our, our willingness to fight in public for ourselves and for our community. And so that is going to draw out everybody who doesn't want that as well. Uh, it's not new to us. We're not the first community to suffer this. We're just the current one. And now, do you think a lot of um, that opposition, is it lack of exposure from some for some people or just blatant ignorance and hatred? I mean, I guess blatant ignorance and mm-hmm. hatred are, are a little bit different. But, you know, what what stage are, are most of these people? Because I do know um, it is this is why we wanted to have you on as well is because there does need to be more exposure. You know, we do have a, a lot of people probably in in certain areas that have not had, um, you know, a face-to-face conversation or had, you know, more interaction or, or just that general exposure. But I do understand a lot of this is just folks choosing to be hate, hateful and, and choosing to be against you and what you stand for and who you are. Yeah, that's a really important distinction, and it's one that I'm always making, right? I, I've said many times, and, and I think most people agree, like if I'm having a conversation with somebody I don't know, I can very quickly tell the difference between a person who's not been exposed to trans people, maybe doesn't have comfort level with queerness, doesn't understand the trans thing, right? Like I transitioned as an adult. I, I encounter that constantly, Um and I get that, you know, I have family, I have conservative family members who live out in rural Minnesota and, you know, it's a different world and, and I still travel there. Um, it's very different and very obvious when that is the case versus um, an individual who is anti-trans, who holds an anti-trans worldview, who thinks trans people are not real or whatever version of, you know, their their political or religious beliefs lead them to, like, that's just a different conversation. Um, and I would say most of the people that I encounter are in that first category, right? There's a small number of extremely uh, cruel people who who have targeted me in my community in the state of Minnesota. Um, larger than I'd like, but it's much smaller than uh, the other the other category. So when you're out there and you are interacting and you find someone that, that you're having a conversation with that maybe does have that lack of exposure, you know, what what can our what can you share with our listeners if there is somebody listening that has not as much exposure or has friends or family that they would like to help educate in a way? Is there any tips or any, you know, anything that we can we can help to help that exposure or or knowledge? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to just acknowledge, like, when, I, when I'm when i interacting with a person who, who I don't know, right, and, and that always brings me a moment of uncertainty, and we have to get over those vibe checks, you know? Um, if that person indicates to me that they're just not going to sort of come along with, like, oh, I see you, I, I recognize who you are, um, you know, I just remind myself and if it's appropriate i remind them the trans people have always existed there is trans the record of trans people exists throughout all of human history and every community and civilization uh we're not new we're just new to you um and i truly don't um have any intention of changing people's hearts about Mm -hmm. what it means to to hold your political views or your religious beliefs that's not my interest my interest is only protecting the rights of people who are trying to live with dignity. And um, those two things are not mutually exclusive to me. And the more I communicate that with people, I think the more comfort there is. Um, it's not important to me that that you, quote unquote, 
believe in trans people. Like, I don't debate my existence. You believe whatever you want. Um, that's not the that's not the argument that I'm interested in having as a, as a person who's uh, at the Capitol working for my community. Um, and I just have uh, one more question. So I've talked a lot about, um, you know, I'm uh, on many issues. I, you know, I, I identify as Republican, but I don't always, you know, uh, especially when it comes to social issues, don't align with my party a lot. Um, and I, I, we've spoken a little bit on this show about how I believe that younger voters in particular, regardless of party identification, are a lot more open when it comes to abortion, when it comes to legalization, when it comes to, you know, gay rights, trans rights, all of these different things. Is that something you have found across the political spectrum? Do you believe that younger voters are maybe a little bit more open um, to things than, and then maybe some of the older voters? Yeah, I have found that. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think that the more people are, um, the longer that trans people are visible, uh, specifically speaking for my community, right? And the more um, people, like people there are on TikTok, right? It's just as important as people are, have affirming voices on TikTok or on whatever space young people are interacting, school as it is that they hear voices in, in IRL or whatever, right? Like there is just a real distinction. And, and the idea of young, like I interact with young people people regularly i have children you know they have friends we i have a school a community that i interact with and the the difference between the way that young people interact with um the world and the way that maybe their parents or grandparents do uh it's night and day to me and that's I, I mean that, that's not to say that it will always be that way just quickly right. like it's not going to get better in the future just because the future approaches, right? We haven't outlived racism. Uh, there will always be an up and down in these in these trajectories. And it's one of the concerns that, just from a partisan perspective, that Becky and I are concerned about is that that as more kids become voting age, and from a partisan perspective, I don't know to what degree the Republican Party is doing enough to be open minded, and in some instances just to be respectful on these types of issues. And when we, I want to pivot to the, some of the legislation that you focused on this past session and some of the historic work that you did. But one of the issues that it's when I, it's one of the times I think I first reached out to you representative was on the, the gender affirming care and the trans refugee bill and th that type of the legislation that you pushed. One of the concerns and one, a lot of things that Becky and I talk about is messaging. And we talk about Republican messaging and one of the things that really upset me and frustrated me to the degree which I identify as Republican is the rhetoric that was used to describe this bill from the partisan side, that it was about grooming children and collecting children and kidnapping children. And we discussed this on a previous episode. One of I wrote a book about the disappearance of missing kids that were abducted in Minnesota. The issues of child safety, child welfare, trafficking are incredibly important to me. And the belief that this legislation would in essence, allow that was just on so many levels, the, some of the rhetoric was offensive to me, but the belief that there would be this type of stuff going on, it just really got me angry. And mm -hmm. I was very frustrated with that rhetoric because I think that there is a space for people to have questions, but there's not a space. I don't think we have any responsibility to create a space for people to foster hate and disinformation and to create these boogeymen that don't exist. 
And that's the distinction that I have. I think it's important. And one of the things I wanted to come out of this interview is Becky and I are Republicans to the degree which we identify as Republicans. You're a Democrat. If we can find a way to talk and disagree about partisan issues, but not have this turn into you don't exist and I don't recognize that you exist as to who you are, I think we can change things. And that can be part of the conversation because that's where I think the debate should be. But what I see so often on when Republicans are debating a number of these issues, these social issues and other issues dealing with transgenderism and other topics, a debate it drops down to a you don't exist. This is some horrible system by which, and it just really is just offensive to me. And, yeah. and I, mean, I, I think that I want to just say how much I appreciated your voice during that time. And I did listen to the episode of your podcast that you um, recorded at the time the trans refuge bill was being debated. And it meant a lot to me to have a voice like yours in the Republican party, because I didn't hear one at the Capitol. Uh, that was willing to sort of cool, cool some of that rhetoric. And it is difficult to be in a, a political debate with people who aren't interested in re acknowledging like reality. Like I can have a conversation with you about um, custody cases or healthcare access, right? But I can't have a conversation with you about, do I want to mass kidnap children and mutilate them? Right. Like if that's a, if that's the debate you're trying to have with me, like there's not then we're done, you know, um, and very quickly I was to the point I made earlier. Very quickly. That's what happened. And it just spiraled so out of control, so much quicker than I expected uh, and left us just in a position where there couldn't really be any conversation. Is there a lack of. One of the things that I and, and without wanting, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or have you disclose private conversations, but I have a sense that in a lot of the debate that was going on, that some of the Republicans were playing to their base and playing to a different audience and that they were saying one thing versus how they were acting in private. And I do hope that you had, that there have been some examples this past legislative session where you had dialogues with Republicans on issues that have been positive. I hope that that is an opportunity that you've that you've experienced so far. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I have. I mean, and across issues, right? I mean, it's also worth pointing out that I only carried one bill related to trans people last year. Uh, it's um, one out of the thirty-seven or whatever bills I chief authored was specifically about trans people. So there are many issues that I care about deeply and passionately, and I'm arguing and. and having good conversations with uh, a human services committee, you know, is a very important to me. And I had many good interactions with people around queer related issues and non. Um, but about this issue, um, I didn't really. Um, I did have, you know, there were a couple of people who came up to me and just said, like, I don't really, um, I don't really share the values that are being expressed um, by some members of our side, but I didn't really get a chance to have uh, fruitful conversations, uh, I'll, but I'll be back next year with more work to do. So, Well, I hope, I hope that those, those opportunities exist. Um, I hope those opportunities happen for you. If you could just, before we, I want to just give you a, just a, a pre-lane to talk about why you felt the need to introduce that legislation, why it was important to you 
and your community and what it means for the state that it now exists? Yeah, so when I got into the race, like I said at the beginning, it was because there was a sort of the national campaign against trans people was sort of getting closer and closer to home. Um, we had members of the House. Most of them are now members of the Senate who who were talking about things related to trans kids that were, uh, you know, just debunked national garbage, right? Uh, things that I don't particularly usually repeat, but it was it was dis disturbing to me that it was happening, even though we were in a divided government, so nothing could pass. I didn't like hearing it. I didn't like seeing it in the paper. Um, and so that's why, you know, one of the reasons I got into the race when there was an open seat to run for. And then by the time that happened in late February, I was very late into the race because I waited for redistricting. By the time I was elected and we were starting to look at what we wanted to do, you know, another several states had banned access to gender affirming care for kids, banned or restricted. Uh, and it became clear that that this work was something that we could do in the um, in the state of Minnesota to benefit my community, right? Because there isn't a lot we can do proactively uh, to help our community. We're either in states where there is a, an attack being made on our rights, or we're in states where that's not happening and we have access to health care. But this sort of tr the trans refuge bill would allow people in close by areas to access health care. That was just it was a very clear statement that like we can do this to help people um, and we should. Um, and then, you know, by the time we had hearings in judiciary, uh, we, we heard it in judiciary and then by the second hearing, North Dakota and Iowa had banned gender affirming care. And then by the time it got to the floor, South Dakota had, and it's, it was just numbers were turning so quickly uh, that it seemed like something we, like the, the, the argument became more and more self-evident, right? If we believe in the value of accessing this healthcare uh, and the states around us are just taking it away, that's exactly what we need to do. This is the argument uh, for what we're doing. Um, and I never wavered from that. I made sure that that was a priority. It was not necessarily a priority for leadership um, before we got there and the Queer Caucus organized and was created. Uh, I was elected chair and this was put at the top of our priority list. And, you know, we made sure we made sure that we got it done and we got it done as soon as we could. So I was going to ask, and I, I mean, you kind of just answered it, but if if you were not elected, do you think that this would have gone through or do you think it would have just been lower on the priority list and maybe in subsequent sessions? Um, yeah, I, it's hard to know for sure, um, but I do I do take the stance that without without a vocal trans person calling for this, um, if it wouldn't have likely passed, um, you know, and I, and I was trying to get leadership, leadership's ear on this. And, and, you know, as a first timer, I was kind of just leaning into the people who knew, right. Jamie Becker Finn, representative Becker Finn was my mentor, remains my mentor. Uh, she really coached me through what the steps are, you know, like, this is what you need to do. This is how you do it. I would talk to the whip and the whip would say, well, if you want to get it to the floor, whip the bill yourself because it's not on our priority list. So that's what I did. You know, I just made sure um, 
doggedly that that it stayed on people's radar that we had a vote once we got close to it i started dogging the senate to make sure that they were getting it so i do i really do believe that it was my ability to just prioritize it personally um that made it made it happen well, and Michael and I have both worked in the state legislature, and I mean, it is a testament to your efforts because a piece of legislation of this size and scope um, and importance is is certainly doesn't always happen from a from a first term or first session freshman. So, kudos to you. Thank you. I, I don't know that I can think of Becky, and, and as Representative Finky was saying that, I was thinking about her comments and whether. I could think of another example of a freshman legislator coming in and passing a piece of legislation in this type of way with that. And it's just historic. And I can't think of another example. And you should be incredibly proud of what you did. And in particular, I know sometimes that people, and I got a little bit of sense you would have hoped that this would have been done without you, but I think it's pretty fair to say that based on the work product, I don't know if this would have happened without you. And I think that's something that you should feel incredibly proud about. Thank you. I mean, it is. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, now you mentioned, so I want to kind of uh, move into first session, any any other recaps you want to do, but also second session. You mentioned you're chief author of uh, 30, some 37 other other pieces of legislation aside from this issue, which is now, you know, uh, completed. Well, never always completed. There's always more work to be done. But what other um, priorities are you having going into your second session that um, you might have attempted in first, but just carry over and yeah, let's just chat yeah. general legislative session. Yeah, so, I mean, looking back at what I've learned, right? I mean, I, I did, that was just my first year. I've only had this job for seven months, which yeah. is, or eight months now, right? Uh, it's pretty wild. But one of the things I wish I had done was ask for money along with the trans refuge bill. So uh, one of the things that happened when we introduced so when we introduced the trans refuge bill, you know, I was sort of under the impression that it would work kind of like um, abortion access, uh, where people would be able to access care in the state of Minnesota, um, even if they were living in other states, and uh, figuring out ways, especially regarding like hormone replacement therapy and other things where you don't have to necessarily relocate. Um, but as the last year has progressed, what we have seen is that people don't want to access health care and then move back to a state that has essentially erased their family's um, ability to live well, right? Like you can access health care in Minnesota, but do you really want to go back to a state afterwards? Um, so people are relocating uh, and they're relocating in numbers. So there is work. Um, there are a coalition of groups who are working to make sure that those families have housing and school and, you know, relocating your family is a huge commitment. If you're moving across the country, it takes resources. Um, so one of my biggest priorities next year, and you know, as the person we just talked about how this bill probably wouldn't have passed without me, well, I feel a, a huge amount of responsibility for the people now uh, who are coming to the state of Minnesota to access that care. Um, so I want to make sure we're just doing what we need to do to, to have a soft landing for those families, making sure that we have healthcare providers available, 
making sure that they are um, finding communities that are welcoming, uh, especially for um, people of color, trans people of color who are coming, trans non-binary uh, folks. So that that's a priority for me. Uh, it's sort of when you think about the major legislation, right, we're having a lot of conversations in, in the media about major pieces of legislation and how they need to be fixed or what we need to add to them, right? That kind of year two piece. Um, so I definitely have another another element of work around the trans refuge bill that I think we need to do to, to give people a good, safe place to land. Um, I also want to do a, a, tra a trans or what I'm calling a gender affirming rights act. Um, this is similar to the PRO Act. I'm, I'm increasingly concerned about uh, court rulings around the country that are being made by what I would call conservative courts that are allowing gender affirming care bans to go back into effect after successfully being blocked legally. Uh, so the, the legal argument for banning access to gender affirming care has always been very weak. And in most of the time in the last five years when these things have passed, they have been overturned by the courts. And now in the, just in the last six months, we're starting to see, not even six months, in the last three or four months, we're starting to see courts find ways to reinstitute those, those bans. Um, those are getting challenged. We know how this works. It's going to get to the Supreme Court. I'm very concerned about the fate of that ruling. So I'd like to, similar to the PRO Act after the Dobbs decision, I'd like to just not wait for the Dobbs decision and just get that right to health care in our constitution or in our in our laws. And then I want to do a bunch of tree stuff. I have, I, I did a, a lot of tree legislation last session. Um, I care deeply about trees and climate. Um, I want to, I, I, I authored the Emerald Ash Borer Response Bill, District Energy Waste Bill, and then a tree replanting um, provisions. And I, I have a lot more on that I want to do. I think that getting a lot more tree canopy is very important to me. Um, I, I said several times, I think the most important bill that I wrote last year was the Emerald Ash Borer Bill. Uh, the longest consequential thing that we are talking about in terms of our trees is the emerald ash borer. So, but nobody ever interviewed me about that on a national stage. So I just kind of pump that into you whenever I get a chance. Hey, I'll, 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 I'll bite. Let's get a follow-up for that. So I actually worked, um, uh, 10, 12 years ago, um, when I was at the state legislature, I worked for a senator who was the chair of the Environment Natural Resources Committee. And this is something back then that Memorash um, Bohr was really, I think, relatively newer uh, to, to some of the Minnesota communities. Um, so what is being done? Is this still a, a really big problem across the state? Are there certain regions? Um, you know, I know we've lost a lot of trees. I still, when you're driving down and you see, you know, it painted or or the rope around it that, you know, it's, it's being cut down. I mean, it's, it's sad to see. Yeah. So it's a, it's a massive problem. The scale of problem that uh, the Emerald Ash Borer is presenting is just well beyond what I think most people understand. And they do see their trees being cut down. Uh, in the, in the seven county metro area, we've done We've taken down a, a, a large portion of the public land trees um, that are these infected ash trees, sick ash trees. Uh, but only about 10% of ash trees in the state of Minnesota are on public land. So we have 90% of the emerald ash trees, emerald, uh, emerald ash borer infected trees in the state of Minnesota that have not been touched. 
Um, we need to figure out a way to get them. There's about a billion of them. Uh, we need to figure out a way to get them pulled um, or or fixed. And so the, the, we really haven't even started in terms of getting the trees out and, and the, tr the places that we have cut them down, especially in uh, communities in North Minneapolis, for example, where they haven't been replanted and then they lose tree canopy, which, um, you know, there's a huge amount of studies that show a lack of shade has numerous health and economic outcomes that are negative in communities. So, so it's a double, it's a double opportunity and problem here that we need to solve. I live in Egan and it is, uh, there's just been a massive loss of trees in, in our area through this and it's sad to see. And so I hope, hope you're led, I don't know is one tenth as much as, as Becky does or one one hundredth <laughs> as much as you do. But I hope that the, there's some things that can be done to help some with the trees. There is talk, just pivoting, there is talk of a potential special session related to school resource officers. And I've been following some of, I follow you, obviously follow you on social media. What's your perspective uh, on this school resource issue? Is there a need for a special session? Do you think the law is clear? What's your particular take on this issue? And if there's a need for a special session to clarify anything? Well, you follow me on Twitter, so you saw probably last week I was tweeting about um, the school resource officers uh, and the evidence of their their whether or not having SROs in our communities um, do or do not help violence outcomes in the state of Minnesota. Um, and I, I know that there is a broad range of opinions about this, right? Uh, I don't. I actually think SROs are one of those issues, um, similar to conversations about guns, similar to many conversations that we have that are just, it's not just that they play differently in different communities, it's that they literally are different in different communities. What we're actually talking about are two different things. And if so, but I, I'm a very evidence-based person. Uh, if you have SROs in communities and urban schools where there's a, a um, high, high population of BIPOC students, it's pretty clear that there's a really negative outcome to having a lot of policing in schools. If you have them in districts that are second tier suburbs or, or exurbs or rural, it's just, a, it's a totally different environment with a totally different outcome. So one of the challenges that we always face, of course, is that we are making statewide laws for communities that have very different realities. Um, Nobody's wrong about what it means. It's that it means two actually different things. Um, and I I represent St. Paul, Falcon Heights, Lauderdale, Roseville. We are very diverse communities. Um, so I have my own opinions about that. You can find them on Twitter. But but as to whether or not we need a special session, I mean, I don't I don't know that it, that that decision is completely up to the governor. Um, I do not believe that anybody should be kneeling on any child's neck. It doesn't matter how old they are. Just like police officers shouldn't be kneeling on the necks of people in the streets. They shouldn't be kneeling on the necks of people in the halls. Do we need a special session for that? I, that's outside of my pay grade. Do you, Republican legislators called for a, pre, a special session last week. They had some members of law enforcement there. They were talking about some of these issues. Are you persuaded at all by some of their comments about the need that this would hinder their ability to, in some instances, even potentially de-escalate situations and stop them from growing? Or is it all, it is, does it all in your perspective come down to where it's occurring? I, I, 
I have not been persuaded, but I'm not who they're trying to persuade. Right. I mean, I, I have, I have values around what it means for our kids to be in schools. I, I go, I have children in schools in Minnesota. I understand that there are difficult environments. Um, and I don't think that my turning my attention to those issues is going to help uh, resolve that political issue. That's very fair perspective. And I think, yeah, I'm a parent that my kids go to Egan schools. I have just a different perspective, I think, on the relationship with law enforcement than other communities do, and particularly what you've discussed. And to me, sending a kid to a school without a school resource officer it would I'm frustrated with the fact that we need school resource officers to begin with, but there's a role that they, that I think that they play. And so I do think in, at least from my perspective, that it's important that they're there, but I understand the debate. And so if a special session is called, do you think this is something that can, I have a feeling based on some of the, what I've just, my un, uninformed, I would say, or my social media take on this, I don't think this is an issue I don't think this could be a quick special session. I think that this could be a very polarizing issue. It's a hot issue that I think would come up. And I think this would not, I, I don't know that there would be an easy fix to this issue in a legislative, in a special session. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I think I don't have anything else to ask. Is there anything else you want to share about your first session hopes for a second or or just in general? I mean, I, I just want to, again, you know, kind of reiterate what Michael said on the onset is our goal of this podcast has always been to have conversations across the spectrum and and just give people access to different voices, different opinions, not necessarily trying to win people over, but just give show that, again, we can have um conversations with people who might not ideologically align with us 100% of the time, but civil conversations can be had, especially in this, you know, environment of all these heightened, uh, as you said, I mean, just some very hateful, um, vitriolic situations in in politics. So really appreciative of you coming on, giving us more information, giving our listeners some insight that maybe they would not have otherwise. But is there any anything that you want to talk about that we didn't get to or any hopes for a second session that you want to throw out there before it starts? Um, again, I appreciate very much this invitation. Uh, it's been a great experience. I, I guess, you know, we, we kind of cut around this a little bit, but, you know, my hope for my hope going forward, I would like to do this work for a while. I think I'm kind of good at it. I think, um, I enjoy it. I would like to be in office, um, for a little bit. And I don't know, I, I have to be honest, I just don't know how many years I can do what I just did. Um, so to the extent that people can turn down, you know, the levels of targeting harassment and hate and lies and, and, and abuse, I don't like to, I'm not, I'm not trying to end on this, but I think it's important that people hear like the goal of that is to get me out of office. That's why people do this. That's why they have campaigns um, about lies about me personally that are vile and cruel and, and they come from inside the house. They're amplified in the house. They're, they come from outside and, and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way for me, but it shouldn't be that way for anyone else either. So uh, we can have debates, we can have disagreements, but we should also be able to have conversations like this one because I like my job and I, I want to, I want to stay in it for a while. And, and, and the truth is I just won't if, if this is what it means to be in office. 
How has social media impacted your time in office? Is it been? I, Go ahead. I mean, it's it's the same as any other conversation place, right? Most of what I, I mean, Twitter has now become a place that is so abusive um, as to be almost unusable. I have an audience there, so I continue to share. Um, but I mean, every every single comment. Every single post I post, I, I mostly turned off comments now, but when I forget to do that, if I get 50, 60, 70 comments within an hour that are just hate and abuse and lies. Uh, so I kind of just like parked that. Um, otherwise, you know, Instagram is a nice place and I, and I enjoy it. It's just like up and down, just like everything else. Um, I... I literally can only imagine because I at, at one point following some campaign work had to, I mean, I took six months off from Twitter because of the hate I experienced, which is, you know, a small iota of, of what you have experienced and, and other people in, in the trans community. Um, so I, I literally can only imagine, and I am grateful that you are pushing forward and I hope it does calm down um, because I do think it's important again whether people agree with what you are pushing or stand for they should believe that you are a human being who deserves to have a voice and um and 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 regardless of yes we we certainly have freedom of speech no one should ever get so much hatred and pressure that they cannot do what they want to do in this world. And and so I'm hopeful you continue to push forward, stand what you believe in. Um, I got to ask the, you know, the the infamous question we like to ask when we have legislators on any, any hopes for higher office at some point? Yeah, uh, not really. <laughs> uh, not right now. I, I mean, there's many reasons why, but um, I I think I told my partner when I ran for this, that I would do 10 years in the house. And then my kids will be older and I'll take a I'll take some time to reflect, but it's hard to imagine there being anything in the next few years that would be desirable based on the experience I've just had. But also like there's some options. So I'm okay with that. The two points. First of all, skateboarding. I want to <laughs> note you're a skateboard fan. My skateboarding claim to fame is I skateboarded down my hill in my neighborhood. And I sent out a tweet about it. And Tony Hawk liked the tweet. I just went down oh. my hill wearing a helmet. I felt like a superhero. But that's my skateboarding experience I wanted to share. I know you're a big skateboarder. Humble uh, brag. So a little mm -hmm. bit of humble brag. My dad used to tell me all the time that skateboarding was a crime. I, I don't think it is. But I just wanted to share my skateboarding story with you because I know you're a big skateboarder. Yeah. I grew up with those skateboarding is not a crime bumper stickers out everywhere. That's, been, funny. that's fantastic. Yeah. I just want to say on a that I'm... I'm frustrated that how much of this interview had to be spent, again, we had to address it, how much ugliness that you've received. And I hope that we, because Becky and I wanted to have you on and we wanted to create the type of space where everyone feels comfortable coming on, where we're not, we're obviously not going to give, we're not going to platform particular issues and propagate lies, spin and hate and rhetoric without pushing back. But simultaneously, we know that you have choices to make about where you, what interviews you accept. And the fact that you would feel comfortable enough coming on and trusting us enough to have this conversation really means a lot to me on both a personal and professional level. 
And I just know what you just seeing on social media, I can't imagine what I'm not seeing behind the scenes and what you've endured. And I'm sure you get a lot of interviews that are well-intentioned. I'm sure you get a lot of interviews where people have not laudable goals. And I just want to say to you that it's not lost on me, that experience, although I don't understand it to the level which you do. But I do hope that you know that you always are welcome to come on this podcast, to come on and talk about issues. And if you have a need to get out about whether whatever it is, you have a place to come on. And I hope we can find a space where and we can set an example where we can be disagree. We can disagree with each other without getting into such vitriol and hate about whether people exist. And I, I really hope that you'll consider coming back on. But I just wanted to say to you just on a personal level how much it meant for me that you'd be willing to trust us to come on. And I hope it was a, a respectful experience that you'd consider coming back. Yeah, I, I, I have enjoyed it very much. I appreciate that. I, and I wanted to come on when we first started chatting, you know, and, and back when the bill was being debated and it was just too much. And, and I, I didn't realize like July was a, but basically just a cloud of recovery for me. And now <laughs> I'm back and I'm ready. And yeah, and, and one day I would love to be able to come on here and actually have a debate about gender affirming care. Like that's what, that's what I want to be in the world advocating for. And, and as long as we have to always talk about abuse, we don't get to actually have that debate. And that's what I want to do too, because I want your audience to know why it matters. Mm -hmm. um, so next time that's what we'll do, hopefully. Good. I hope that the topics that we covered and we did it in a way we explained it and, and I hope it's a launching pad for you to come back on. And I, we would love to have you back on representative. Um, and where can people follow you? I know Michael mentioned a few times I, I follow as well. Uh, where can we follow you on Twitter and elsewhere? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Lee Finky. I'm out. I'm on Instagram, uh, Lee for M N L E I G H F O R M N, and that's also I'm I'm also on Threads now. Uh, I I signed up for Threads when mm -hmm. when Twitter was getting too abusive, but it didn't really take. But I'm there too, and I, I post my updates there. But if you want to be interactive, you know, Instagram. I'm I respond to my Instagram chats. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And we hope my pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this warm weather for at least one more day. <laughs> All right. Too hot for me, but yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. We'll chat soon. Thank you. We just interviewed Representative Lee Finky. Becky, give me your take on the interview, what you learned, and what you thought about the discussion. Absolutely. You know, I, I we we chatted about it a little bit with Representative Finky, and um, I just have to say, I think I'm proud that. We are able to have a podcast where, um, you know, somebody like Representative Finke, who likely has policies that are, you know, largely different than than the two of us and different priorities of what we want to see happen at the legislature, um, still feel welcome and willing to come on to our show. I think I, I'm very proud of that, but I'm very also proud and pleased that she, you know, she said yes, that she wanted to come. I think it's a, it was a great opportunity, um, to, to learn a little bit more about her, why she decided to run. Um, you know, we hear a lot more about, um, diversity in all sorts of different ways of having folks of different, um, backgrounds, geography, race, religion, sexual orientation, and identity on our screens in everyday life to to increase that exposure. And I think that is one thing that is um, very great to look at with this, because I think that there is obviously there is 
people who choose to be ignorant on this. There are people that certainly choose to be hateful. And it was really disappointing to hear the levels of which that has been for or aimed at Rep Finke. Um, but I think having more exposure and just folks learning more about um, who she is and, and what she stands for and uh, is going to be helping move that needle along. So I, 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 I enjoyed it. I was really proud of the fact that we've created that type of space where someone will feel comfortable coming out. I'm, I was disappointed, frustrated. The amount of time that I think justifiably though, we needed to spend talking about the level of vitriol and hate. We're trying to interview someone, a sitting member of the legislature. And I think a lot of the time that she has spent in the legislature has been about, but on the receiving end of attacks and criticism about whether she exists or not. And like she's Santa Claus. I mean, quite literally, that's what some people are basically saying. And it's just so disappointing. And I'm proud of the fact that we were able to have that. We've created that type of space, safe space. If you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, we're going to ask you questions. If you're an independent, we're going to ask you questions. But what we're certainly not going to do is we're not going to bring someone on the podcast and get into a debate about whether they exist and dehumanize them in any way. That's not what I'm interested in doing. I know it's not what you're interested in doing. I think we should be proud of the fact that Representative Finke gets a lot of media requests to do interviews, and she trusted us enough to come on and have a respect, respectful conversation. Now, that being said, she's a Democrat. We're Republicans in some ways, and in some ways is assigned to me. <laughs> but we can disagree. Representative Finke and you and I can agree and disagree on policy, but we recognize basic human decency. And I think what's so frustrating is I think a lot of time has been spent this past legislative session by her having to fight for people to recognize that she exists and who she is as a person and that she has value and that she has worth and who she is as a person. And if we've humanized her in a little bit of way by having her on, I think we should be good about, we should feel good about that. But that being said, it's frustrating that we have to do that type of stuff. And I hope to have her on again where we can really throw some elbows a bit about some policy, but we're not going to have to get into the weeds and into this garbage stuff right. that she's had to endure. And so I'm very appreciative of the fact that she came on. I'm very appreciative to have a co-host in you that we've created this type of environment and we should have her on again and talk about some policy and really do some sparring. But I felt that we would be a disservice to the struggle that she's gone through this past legislative session to not just spend a little bit of time talking about what she's gone through. And I think that's important for people to hear. Unfortunately, I think a lot of ugliness that she's endured. And we did it, I think, in a very respectful way. And as I as we close the interview out, I want we want to have her on again. She's agreed to come back on and we can have some really good substantive debates about policy. But I'm not gonna we're not gonna sit across Representative Lee Finke and pretend that she's not who she is. She's a person. She's a human being. She deserves to be respected. And we're going to show her that type of respect. And we are also simultaneously, when it comes to policy, we're going to have disagreements. And I think we should, and it's almost, even as I say this, it just boggles the mind that we have to do this. And so, mm -hmm. but following her on social media and seeing some of the attacks and stuff that you endure, you can see it's taking a toll. And again, I don't know that we agree with her on any issues. I don't agree yeah. with her on a ton of issues, but, and, but that being said, the, I'm not going to get into a debate about her as a human being and how they should, that's, we're going to be respectful to everyone. Well, and I think that, you know, as she mentioned, and this is where 
I have always been a firm believer of like, I, I would rather have you vote and vote Democrat than not vote at all, right? I want you to be involved, be informed. I think that's important. Uh, and and hopefully, you know, you'll be on my side. But if not, I, I still appreciate that. This is someone who stepped up to run for office. She has want, expressed her desire to serve in office for 10 years, which is an incredible length of time to, to serve your community. And um, she's a parent. She's got a partner. You know, she's got a life outside of this. And to have to go through that, and obviously as a go-getter, right? We talked about how instrumental she was in passing this legislation that is very large and you know momentous piece of legislation as her first term freshman that is massive so regardless of not what <clears throat> not agreeing with her policies um it, it shouldn't be the hateful words of others that drives her from serving at the state capitol and and that's really disappointing that that might be what it is if it's because she could no longer do her job or somebody else is more fit or, you know, is just loses an election or chooses to just focus elsewhere. Great. But having just hateful people slinging mud at her on a daily basis, I, I'm hopeful that that calms down. So that's not the reason that she is not able to to continue on and, and work on behalf of Minnesotans. Because, again, while we might not agree with, with the policies that she's pushing, she is working very hard to serve you know, the people of St. Paul, Roseville, Falcon Heights areas and, and to represent, you know, her community as well. I have, and we've talked about the legislation that she pushed before we had questions. I still have questions about it, but I think a lot of that debate was rhetoric that was just simply out of control. And it, a lot of it was just not truthful, spun people up. And we talked about before, in a number of episodes, how we want to have the type of space where people can talk. And that legislation would not have gotten passed without Representative Finke being involved. And while I have questions about it, what I do know is that I do believe that Representative Finke approached that issue about getting people the right care and the right help that they need. I'm 100% supportive of that. About families kids, adults, getting all the support that they need with any type of help that they need in any type of way. And I'm, and I don't think that bill would have passed without her. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. I also will say to you, I do think that just observing on social media, I think that this past legislative session, I don't think there's any legislator who took more personal heat. And I hope that I think it's a balancing act to be honest to our listeners. And I know I said this to you off air. It was, I was a little nervous interviewing representative Finky because I think what she's endured has been so mean spirited and so hateful that I didn't want to say the wrong thing, come across in the wrong type of way that would offend or cause any harm to her. Because I know what I've seen just one tenth of what I've seen online and what I've heard about she's endured, it's been pretty really, it's been really ugly and no one deserves that. And so I hope that by the respectful exchange that we had, more people will approach Representative Finke and other members of that community in a respectful way and recognize that disagreeable policy, have responsible questions. But do not get into debates and do not focus debates on whether people's struggle is weird, real 
what their identity is and who they are, just treat them with respect. And I'm really proud of the fact that we had that initial conversation with her. And I hope it leads to more down the road. Absolutely agree. Well said. All right. Now let's get to a serious subject. Are you ready for some football? You've been practicing, haven't you? <laughs> so we have ended um, the food fight. We have. Thankfully. Couldn't take it anymore. You couldn't take it anymore, could you? Your picks were just... Um, no. I we... will say, and I want to respect what was said off air. Oh, wow. I do want to respect... You got to round it out, don't you? I want to just... I want to respect what was said off air. But a recent guest that we had on the show agreed with my perspective, and I'm not going to identify who it was, agreed with my perspective on turkey versus ham. Uh, uh, and I just want to say we're not going to disclose who it was because it was set off air, but it was a big win for me. There was also another one, a Republican recently, remember her and her staff were in here, and she was a ham gal. Yeah, yeah. that also, I didn't bring that back up. You didn't bring that back up. Yeah. So we're going, we're doing football now. So football. here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, we're going to have a public fantasy football pick em league. Correct. Every week we're going to come in, we're going to release the, we're going to release the league on social media. This episode will come out tomorrow. I'll release it then. People can participate. And where the food fight used to be, we're going to come in and we're going to debate and analyze Becky's bad picks <laughs> for fantasy football. So, uh, yeah, link will be social media on the, on the podcast show notes, all the places. Come join us. Make your picks. Let's make Michael lose. That you've Wouldn't played that fantasy so before? Yeah, we remember we talked. We I talked. Just, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just kind of needling a little uh, bit. I'm gonna dominate. I am. I'm, I hope. In the interest, I know my sisters listen and members of my family listen. I love you all very much. I am the reigning champion of my family's fantasy football oh, league. Okay. I have four sisters and their significant others and spouses and others that are making a valiant effort. Mm -hmm. But of the three years it's been in existence, I've won two. Of, won two of the three years. I'm I am very the reigning champion. And if you can imagine. I am a bad loser. I no, actually, I think I'm a good loser, but I'm a terrible winner. Mm. And so I can't imagine that at all. I can't imagine that at no. all. So we're gonna have this fantasy league. It's gonna be pick'em league. You can participate every week. Um, but Becky and I are gonna be coming in talking about our picks in the aftermath. First game is Thursday. So the season starts tomorrow, just so you know. Yep. The day this is released. This day is released, we'll have the pick'em league. And so our next episode, which will be released uh on the following Tuesday, Correct. we will talk about it. Yep. All right. All right. Thank you for participating. Can't wait. You're going down. Sure I am. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky. Before we go, show us some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. Again, our website is bbbreakpod.com, and then you can find us at Twitter at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky will be returned next week. Have a great one. See ya.